You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast exploring the Dark Knight Library. I am your host, Ryan Lauer. The Batman Book Club is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by BatmanOnFilm.com. Just go to BatmanPodcastNetwork.com for a whole list of other Bat-related shows that also love to dip into the nerdy world that we love to frolic about in our free time. Now, thank you for tuning in to episode number 54, Batman Strange Apparitions. Joining me on this quest... He is returning to the show after quite, uh, quite a few episodes in between. Uh, I'm glad that our schedules have finally lined up. He is a walking encyclopedia, not just on Batman comics, but all comics and nerdy things. It is Mr. Jay Yaws. Jay, thank you for coming back to the show. Uh, thank you very much for having me, Ryan. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm still trying to live up to that uh, walking encyclopedia <laughs> uh, descriptor there. So hopefully I don't fall flat on my face this time. Well, you were being Mr. Modest, I believe, when you were on an episode of Holy Batcast and you were like, I'm actually just typing it into Google. Fast Googling <laughs> thumbs. That's my secret, everybody. I'm like, oh, Fast okay. Googling thumbs. Don't let people behind the curtain, okay? But um, Oh, I don't care. You're very... So, uh, so, so that way, when <laughs> I inevitably am not able to come up with an answer or don't know what to say, I have an easy out. It's there like, I, I told you guys, I don't... I, <laughs> I just Listen, didn't get to the Google fast enough. <laughs> you're making fun of me for not knowing. Google doesn't even know. So <laughs> just saying, just throwing that out there. Uh, way back when, in those early times, um, 2020, which was the <laughs> longest year in the history of man, you had informed us what your favorite Batman story was then. So instead of repeating that, I'd like to ask you, what is some Batman content you've been reading lately, aside from what we're about to talk about? Uh, lately, uh, in fact, just today, I read the first issue of the Batman and Scooby-Doo Mysteries, which was Ooh. awesome. Yes. Uh, very much in my wheelhouse of just, uh, I mean, you know, kind of cartoony, animated, you know, just silly, all ages fun, but it's a really good story too. And uh, I, th I think you shared it. A lot of people have shared the one page that has yes. like a bunch of the different Batman costumes over the years, including the Asbats costume, the yep. purple gloves, uh, the rainbow Batman. Um, I want to say the zebra Batman was in there, but I, I don't remember. But anyway, uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, let's see, what else have I been reading? Uh, I'm really looking forward to the Batman 89 comic book that's coming out in a couple months. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm kind of stealing myself waiting for that and the uh, Superman 78, you know, those will kind of go together just with what they are. But um, uh, as far as just, I don't know, like stuff coming out these days, uh, I've I'm, I'm honestly more going back and just reading older stuff as much as I can because uh, Honestly, I'm not not really digging what's going on right now with uh, uh, one of the main Batman titles in particular and uh, uh, both of them just in general. So, um, yeah. You will uh, always have back issues. Exactly. And uh, DC is on a mission now to make sure that every single week there is a Batman comic that's being released. So... 
like we're if if something's not doing it for you with batman there's always a lot of other options <laughs> there's so, gonna be something else so yeah, yeah. yeah there's, exactly. there's gonna be tons of other things so we're we're in good hands but very cool for for scooby-doo and batman did you read the the actual the oh my gosh physical copy there we go or were you digital uh, i i just got the uh, digital copy okay because me too, I didn't know that it was out already. And I honestly was the other night just going through and I'm like, when is that coming? And I looked and they'd already released like, uh, at the time of this recording, there were two issues out. And I'm like, holy crap, how have I missed out on this? And then I went to the comic shop actually today and I saw that the actual physical copy issue number one had released. And I'm like, well, I just bought the digital. I don't want to, I'm not going to double dip. <laughs> Dang it. But that that's one that I'll definitely end up uh, probably picking up in trade just yeah. in the end. Just uh, I have I behind me here in my uh, brand new home and therefore brand new home office. Mm-hmm. I have uh, like so, some nice bookshelves. You can't see it because we're just on audio Zoom. But uh, I have a uh, animated DC animated shelf that has the Batman Adventures, Superman Adventures, Justice League Adventure, like all those all those books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have the uh, uh, like Tiny Titans and uh, Lil Gotham, Batman 66, kind of all those books on another shelf. Uh, I think uh, Batman Scooby-Doo will definitely slide in there nicely with uh, on, on, on one of those one of those shelves there. And that's, that was kind of my thinking, how I justify not buying the physical issue too. I'm like, I bought it digitally. I know this. I'm going to buy the trade when that comes out in the future and that's going to go on the bat shelf so you know what this just take it easy ryan yeah. it's okay it's okay it's right. okay tap the brakes <laughs> tap the brakes on it it's okay it's okay i'm i'm gonna be all right i'm gonna make it through so uh very cool let's let's dig in now to the main event here uh miss the batman strange apparitions uh originally released back from 1977 to 1978 from detective comics 469 through 479 the first eight issues written by steve engelhart the last eight issues illustrated by marshall rogers the first two issues illustrated by walt simonson the last two issues written by len ween all of them (laughs) retroactively uh collected and called Batman Strange Apparitions and now is called Strange Apparitions. But the dynamite team of Engelhart and Rogers were actually only six issues. And I say only six issues because it is always kind of, it blows my mind to think that that such a definitive run only lasted for six issues. And uh, there's, Jay and I are going to get into this. Uh, It's been released in individual issues so long ago, sporadically popping up in, you know, greatest uh, Joker stories ever told, greatest Batman stories ever told. But then in the 90s, I believe it was collected as a first trade called Strange Apparitions. Then those six issues were collected in the Legends of the Dark Knight, Marshall Rogers uh, hardcover collection. Then just last year, it was in Tales of the Batman, Steve Englehart. (sighs) Yeah, Yaz, which version did you read for this episode? Uh, I have the, um, like you, I think, the uh, what has to be the the 1990s collection with uh, Batman kind of standing over the grave of Bruce Wayne with the shadowy specter of Hugo Strange's, uh, well, glasses at least, Mm -hmm. uh, looming in the background with kind of the uh, old school horror Batman Strange Apparitions uh, uh, print. 
uh, that that's how I read it this time. So did I. I have how, that, I have that trade. Let's let's discuss how because I like to tell stories sure. and everything. <laughs> how how did you come across this trade? How, how how did you get it? I was down. I was growing up. I've said this. I don't know how many times on this show that where I grew up, small town, there was a spinner rack at the local grocery store that wasn't updated very well. And that is the only way to get any kind of comics. And when, by the time in college, I'd moved down to a bigger city and there were multiple comic book shops. And so I just went to a local one and I was checking out their trade uh, shelves. And there was, I mean, at that time I was working, so I finally had money and it was just basically, I just bought Batman books. Uh, not, not like that was the only thing I did with money, but I wasn't seeking out um, and being very specific on what it's just like, I just need to, I want to grow my library. I want to dive in because we didn't have the digital anything that we do now. So I just saw Batman strange apparitions and I was there with my uncle and he's like, Oh, that is a definite buy. And I'm like, okay. So I spent, I believe it says 1295, $12 and 95 cents on this trade, which now is hard to find. Well, I shouldn't say hard to find their copies are available, but be ready to spend a lot more than $12 and 95 cents. <laughs> It's yes. probably 2006 or 2007 that I bought this. Very nice. Yeah, I was not so fortunate <laughs> to buy oh. it then. Okay. Um, this, was, this was a book that, uh, you know, is kind of one of those not, I wouldn't say like best kept secrets, but it's it's not one that comes up as much as, you know, you know, Dark Knight Returns, Year One, Long Halloween, stuff like that. Not to be dismissive and, you know, derisively. Don't you dare dismiss the Long like Halloween. <laughs> but, but, you know, those are going to come up in every Batman conversation. Yeah, this is absolutely. the one that and I don't, I don't, I don't want to come across as like, you know, gatekeeping or, you know, snotty or whatever. But it's like some people, sometimes you'd hear like, okay, but if you really want to, you know, get Batman from, you know, A to Z from, from the very beginning now, you really need to read this. Because it's not a lot of Batman, you know, uh, it, it's a small part of Batman's history, but it's just so influential. Like so many great things came out of this, this run of comics and so many adaptations have come out since then. And it's, it's just been a big part of Batman's history. So mm -hmm. I, I'd heard that. So eventually, I don't even remember how I originally read it, um, but uh, I read it several years back and uh you know wanted to get a copy of my own but like you said the uh i think the original marshall rogers trade only has his issues that he illustrated yeah which make which makes sense uh and then even now the steve Englehart trade only has the issues that he wrote um so even though those those collections are both well worth owning for these stories and several others, you know, on yeah. their own, you know, don't necessarily want to have to buy two trades to get four additional issues on either side. Um, so uh, there's actually a used bookstore. Uh, I mean, it's big down here. I'm not sure if it's uh, uh, nationwide, but half price books. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. okay. Very familiar here in the Midwest. Yes. Not, not again. I know that the, it's big enough that you can reference it and people know what you're talking about. I'm just not sure how, far they stretch and everything but anyway there the original like the flagship store is like 40 minutes from me it's in dallas and um i went there one day and happened to find a copy of 
strange apparitions locked up in their expensive comics, Ooh. <laughs> you know, locker. Uh, well, it was, it was $50, which I That's mean, even, bad. If, even if you look now, it's uh, like I pulled up eBay while you were doing that and you've got buy it now $40.99 with $3.95 shipping, buy it now with $50 and, okay. or, or best offer with $2.89 oh. shipping. Uh, so, you know, 50 bucks is about a decent median low end range that you're going to spend on this. Um, but I didn't buy it then because, I mean, as much as I love it, $50 is still, you know, a lot for a... a, a what a twist to your story. And I didn't buy it. <laughs> but, but a few weeks later, I got a 50% off one item coupon for half price books. How the hell did you get that? Uh, they, they send them out every now and then. They'll, they'll, it'll, I think especially around like Memorial Day, I think is when they got it. It's like on on uh like friday you can get 30 percent off one item saturday you can get 40 and then sunday you can get 50 percent off one item mm-hmm. um i was actually playing at church that weekend so i could not get over uh to half price books to buy There's this so many twists in the story there are so end. many twists <laughs> so in the end i texted my brother-in-law who lives like five minutes away from the store forwarded him the email and had him go pick it up for me uh the end but now i own strange apparitions for 25 dollars. <laughs> well that's a good deal i i think i don't know anybody who any batman comic fan that wouldn't want to buy strange apparitions for $25. Yes. You, yes, yes, yes. You would, you would be foolish to pass that opportunity up. And I would like to thank myself as not a fool. So (laughs) (laughs) I thank me that I am not a fool. Thank me. I am not a fool. Surely am. Well, I have two follow-up questions after that, the epic journey of possessing this book. (laughs) One in being, when was the first time that you read this? Uh, like I said, I don't remember exactly how many years ago or even how I read it, uh, but um, I mean, it's probably been about seven or eight years, okay. um, give or take, maybe maybe sooner. Let's okay. see, what, what year is it? It is 2021. 2021. <laughs> uh, okay, maybe like five or six years. Okay. I read this about five or six years ago. All right. uh, a, couple of the, a couple of the issues I'd read. I was either familiar with or I'd read, you know, like in a, like a Joker collection or a greatest Batman stories collection. So some of the issues I was already familiar with, uh, but the entire run of strange apparitions, I read about five or six years ago. Okay. Uh, When I bought this trade in either 2006 or 2007, I can't remember which year, but that was the first time that I read this. Oh, why Jaws? When I asked if you'd like to return to the show, you said I'd love to. Did you choose Batman: Strange Apparitions? What was it about this that made you say that's the book I want to cover? Uh, it just so much about this, just this collection of issues, uh, just hits on everything that I like to get out of Batman stories and want to see more of in Batman stories. Okay. Um, uh, you know, we'll we'll go into the finer details later, but you know, there's good use of uh, familiar villains. There's good use of new villains. Um, each of the issues, it, it, it all kind of ties together as an overarching story. But uh, 
most of the issues you can read it and then maybe the next one as as like a standalone story there's a couple of two-parters in here but generally speaking they're just one and done isolated single issue stories that if you just wanted to read a batman story you could pick it up open up to a random page and you know go forward or backward a few pages if you landed in the middle of an issue read an issue and get you know like what like some people would say like a full meal out of it you know Mm -hmm. it's it's uh it has a defined beginning middle and end um if you want to keep reading, great. If that's all the Batman you wanted to handle today, you don't have to feel like, oh, okay, I guess I'll come back tomorrow and finish that story. You know, it's 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 there to take in chunks if you want it, or to take as a uh, singular run, uh, which I think comics in general are just missing too much of these days is issues that can stand on their own. Yeah. Um, so every, pretty much every issue in here could be a good entry point for everybody too. I think that's very very important. You can you get. Um, it, it's not overwhelming for a new reader to to read most of these issues because you at least get the idea of Batman, what he does, what his whole you know deal is, and besides getting and understanding Batman, you get a really good Batman story too. So um, uh, I may just like that, and then of course uh, you know there's some absolutely gorgeous art from. Um, from both uh, Simonson uh, and uh, Rogers. I always flip the two. I'm like, was Englehart the writer or was Rogers the writer? I did that for the longest time too. And I'm like, why do I constantly get myself confused? Just because, you know, they're so synonymous with each other with this, you know, one one run here. So it's it's easy to do that. Uh, But yeah, Rogers and uh, Simonson, some absolutely gorgeous art. Uh, Dick Giordano uh, contributes some inks to uh, uh, to the collection as well, and uh, you know he's a legend in his own right. Uh, and it's just, uh, and again, it's one of those uh, not necessarily off the beaten path Batman stories, but it's one that I think should be in the conversation more often. Doesn't necessarily come up in the conversation as with the name strange apparitions but other aspects of it do come up in the conversation so just kind of bringing it all together uh that's that's kind of why i wanted to, to discuss the entire collection and uh and run here hot dog uh, i back in episode 50 i talked about strange apparitions and i explained my love for this book so it was such a it was such an it easy yes jay that will not be your problem i am excited to read this again and talk about it again because i thoroughly enjoy and love this this run which let's dive into now of steve Englehart, the writer yes the writer steve Englehart. how this even came about and let's try and do this history in a really quick minute and here we go so steve Englehart at the time early 70s he was writing at marvel he was a marvel writer but they changed uh they had editorial changes and he wanted to leave the company. His wife had traveled around Europe for a year before she met him. And he thought, let's go to Europe for a year. So he was ready to pack his bags, be done writing comic books. And he'd been, he'd written the Avengers for Marvel and Jeanette Kahn then took over uh, DC or was a head honcho at DC. And she called him up and said, I want you to come over and do justice league. I want you to do what you did with the Avengers. I want you to do that to the justice league. He said, he's going to Europe. You'll get me for a year. I also want Batman. And she said, okay. 
And then Steve Engelhardt, he decided he wrote, he wanted a good run. He said at the time it was going to be seven issues of Batman and a, uh, a year's worth of Justice League. And Batman was bi-monthly or every other, yeah, bi-monthly. Yes. And uh, the first couple issues or first issue sold so well, they added an, an additional, the Deadshot issue in this run is a, is an additional issue. That was originally was not going to happen, mm. but the beginning of this run sold so well, they added the Deadshot issue, which he'd already kind of had mapped out in his head anyway. Brilliant, Steve Englehart. <laughs> so he knew that he was going to have uh, Simonson on the, um, excuse me, on the, the art for the beginning of this story. And I find it completely fascinating that he had no clue until later on that DC did not like the work of Simonson and his inker, Al Migram. And so they decided to switch and brought in, the, brought in this team of Marshall Rogers and inker Terry Austin. There's the setting up of Batman Strange Apparition. So let's talk the first, those first two issues and then we can talk about the rest. So the first two are an originally created villain named Dr. Phosphorus. Also, real name, Dr. Alexander Sartorius. Dr. Sartorius. Excellent name. <laughs> that just screams, you're a villain if your name is Dr. Sartorius. And the, oh. the, uh, the first issue there, the, um, oh, oh, what's the issue number? Uh, 469? Detective 469, yeah, mm -hmm. has the amazing title of Ellipses by death's eerie light i know it i love it it's amazing i love it uh it, i mean what a it's just a good start like kickoff point for him because in this first issue of Engelhart's run we get a new character in dr phosphorus we get a new character in uh rupert thorne or wait was thorne in this first or was he in the second no he's he's in the first one okay and then the second issue is the introduction of silver saint cloud so these are three characters that like I feel like comic book readers know the names. I mean, not even readers for Rupert Thorne, but comic book readers, they know the name Silver St. Cloud. They know the name of Dr. Phosphorus. Dr. Phosphorus is probably the lesser of the three, but this is the origin of, of Rupert Thorne, which Engelhart even said he loved the, the pulpness of of those early Batman stories and he loved the mobsters and he just, he loved, he wanted to bring that back for this run. Hence that's the creation of Rupert Thorne and bring in a mob angle, a guy from city council that's kind of corrupt. And that's like, that's, that's a different approach than the, you know, the, the penguins and the jokers and the Riddlers and such. And at the time now it would seem like that makes total sense. Well, yeah, that's what they do now. But at the time in the early, like in the seventies, that's, that's a new idea. That's kind of a bold choice. Yeah, and it's, I mean, that's one of those aspects that I love about Batman's characters. He fits with, you know, the street level crime of, you know, a corrupt politician. Uh, and he also fits with the superhero antics of uh, a villain who uh, is irradiated thanks to a exploded nuclear reactor. And they can both appear in the same issue, make sense in the same issue, and make sense for Batman to take both of them on mm -hmm. in his own ways. Yep, I, I like I like the and I think Dr. Phosphorus is is definitely to get the comic book feel. You know, I don't think that he's necessarily, I, I, I never gotten excited at the mention of Dr. Vesper, you know, it's, I mean, he's yeah. there 
fun. It's it's kind of like whatever, but we get that that balancing act of the over the top comic book villain and then a grounded mobster corruption in Rupert Thorne. Dr. Phosphorus is one of those characters that, you know, serves something like the Lego Batman movie really well. Yes. Uh, you know, when whenever they're going through, you know, the whole roll call of, you know, Batman's villains and you've got, you know, Joker, Penguin, Riddler, and then like, um, uh, you know, Zebra Man, Calendar Man, Condiment <laughs> King, and it's like, I did not make any of those up. Dr. Phosphorus is one of those guys that you throw in there. And, um, you know, the general audience might be like, oh, neat. And then comic book fans are going to be, you know, like salivating because it's like, oh, my gosh, it's Dr. Phosphorus. Because yeah. he's not going to sell the book to me. No. But his inclusion, I'm going to think, oh, OK, that's neat. Let's see what they do with this. Yeah. And I mean, he's he's the Rupert Thorne is the the roots like that's the the through line of this story and the root of the tree and phosphorus is one of the leaves. It's like, oh, this is yeah. kind of like a, look, that's a pretty leaf. It's fallen. Now keep folks, the tree's still there. Rupert Thorne's still there to keep moving the story along. And that's what Engelhart did really well is planting those seeds of this, this arc that I'm doing, which he'd even said, he's like, I know I have, I have an expiration date on Batman. Uh, I'm telling a story that's going to say, you know, that's going to end. There's going to be like an ending to my story in which you even see on his last, on his last issue in 470, uh, 477. Four, uh, what was that? It? No, because it skips 477. It goes from 476. 476, that's right. Yeah. Oh, see, damn it. I was going to say 476. I'm such a fool. I'm not going to edit okay. that out. Even Ryan Lauer makes mistakes. <laughs> so at the end of 476, it even says in the bottom right corner, Finn. And it seems like such a nerdy and small detail, but that actually, that's kind of like a, that's a big deal, I think. And here, after you read Engelhart's interviews and such, where he says he wants an ending, then you see that and you're like, that makes total sense. Where the story ends is like, you could stop here. And it's like, this is kind of a contained story. This is a good story. Yeah. And I like that he, uh, you know, plays with all the toys in the toy box. Yep. He brings some of his own. Mm -hmm. And says, if you want to play with these going forward, go ahead. But I'm not going to leave, you know, whoever comes after me, you know, some baggage that they have to clean up. They can just, you know, do what they want with what I've done or do, you know, anything else. Go from here and uh, make a complete 180. It doesn't matter. So I I like the fact that he does have had that finite story in mind Mm -hmm. and, and told it and told it well over, you know, eight issues or, you know, however much it was. Um, and then, uh, you know, even in the end there, uh, it's, it, it feels whole. It feels complete. It leaves you wanting more, but it doesn't feel like anything was left out either. Absolutely. Uh, to jump into Rupert Thorne, a lot of people will be, I think non-comic readers. I, I think it, did they know Rupert Thorne because he's such a huge presence in Batman the Animated Series, the holy grail of Batman media, as yes. many would find, and rightfully so. That uh, I'm kind of surprised that he wasn't used more prior to Batman the Animated Series, and then I'm surprised he hasn't been used as much since Batman the Animated Series because I think he is, I think he is a great mob character. Like if you don't want to go down the Falcone route, which is fine because there's a lot of Falcone in Batman media, it's like Rupert Thorne is a good uh, plan B 
Like, you know what I mean? I, I think he, there's a lot you can do with him in city corruption and city, like this, the fact of city council, you know, that Falcone's a, you know, crime mob. No, this is a guy who's involved with a lot of city, uh, what do I want to say? The he, city of Gotham. He's the guy that you can't touch. Yeah. Like even, even in a different like, way, in a totally he, different way. From yeah. Falcone. Like even like Maroney and Falcone, everyone knows that they're crooks and eventually, you know, they're going to get taken down either by, you know, a snitch or, you know, uh, the IRS, you know, like yes. tax audits or whatever. Uh, but like Thorne is like almost respectable. Like it, he's, I, and I'm sorry if this is not a good comparison or if anybody thinks that this is heresy. And I'm not saying that he's as prolific or even the same, you know, character, you know, other than like, other than like the general trappings, but he's kind of like a Lex Luthor, you know, the guy that the readers and the heroes know are scumbags, Mm -hmm. but the, like the average citizens of the city might not understand because they don't see what we see. And that makes them really, really interesting characters too, because they're the guys that you want the heroes to beat, but you know that they can't just go in there and, you know, you know, punch their way out of it and everything to, to take them down. They have to, they have to get much more creative with how they deal with those kind of characters. Yeah. And I think that that's a good point in Thorn. something that they can do with Thorn is he has the power to basically put out like a, a Send a subpoena for Batman that like he's to be taken in. Uh, they don't taken into GCPD. GCPD is not to work with Batman anymore. They're um, I don't know like oh he's supposed to appear in a court. So this is like this is a good start of Thorn gets that going of getting Batman works with Gordon and GCPD and thorn is cutting that that thread that is that contact is no more or trying to enforce that and that for us readers is like good of like oh, but thorn's a son of a bitch like yeah ah. i mean you know going with kind of you know spinning off like your tree analogy he's like pruning a hedge here and yeah. he knows that you know the 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 branch or uh you know whatever that is Batman's relationship with Gotham Police Department. Well, if he just cuts that off and puts a block there, um, if Gordon wants to stay in the good graces as you know the commissioner, you know he's going to have to go by the book now, because uh, you know even Gordon's always kind of had that sense of plausible deniability. You know everyone knows Batman works with him and their buddy buddy, but even then. Batman allows Gordon to keep himself at arm's length so that if Bruce is ever, you know, caught and everything like that, Gordon doesn't have anything to worry about because, you know, Bruce doesn't want Gordon to have to worry about anything. Um, But, you know, uh, Thorne here just kind of cutting that off, you know, at the source because he can. It's like someone like Maroney and Falcone, you can say that the mob like owns the city, but a guy like Thorne runs the city. Yep. So, you know, even if, you know, the, uh, the mobsters try to, you know, buy them off and everything, Thorne kind of has the last word here and can be even more dangerous than people with just a lot of money because he can, I mean, he can make the rules and he can break the rules in his own favor too. Exactly. And I get a lot of, I instantly think when I think of strange apparitions, I think of Batman Prey 
for that yes. whole pursuit of Batman. And it's hard for me to think that Prey wasn't somehow, oh, what do you want to say? In they didn't. They had to have thought of strange apparitions a little bit in Prey somehow. Oh, because absolutely. I think I, there's I, such a link there of chase the Batman, cut cut him off from GCPD. That whole idea, which does oh, and, work, and even you know Hugo Strange's involvement. So there, exactly. uh, this would be uh, Prey would be kind of like the uh, uh, like the the uh, deleted scenes of strange apparitions. Let's say you know you got. Mm-hmm you know, the extended cuts of like Lord of the Rings and everything works fine. But then, you know, you uh, in the theatrical version, but then in the, you know, the DVD release, you get, you know, an hour of extra footage just to kind of explain things more and pad things out more and give you more character moments. Praise kind of like that. Pray, pray is what happens between some of the panels in Strange Apparitions. I totally see that. Also, Batman Prey coming to the Batman Book Club later in 2021. <gasps> Anyways, moving on. <laughs> what a tease. Uh, last one I want to touch on that, that's introduced early on is Miss Silver St. Cloud. Blows my mind, Jay Yaws, that we don't ever get more of Silver St. Cloud. Silver St. Cloud. And I am not being <laughs> a, ironic or uh, goofy or just trying to start a fight here or anything. Silver St. Cloud, to me, is the best Batman love interest. Ever. I I mean if you count Selena Kyle, I think Selena might make it like might just overdo it for for Silver, but I like th- otherwise I would not disagree at all because I think she ranks very high up there. What I like about Silver is and this is this again isn't to kind of talk down on the other characters, but just by design and how she's presented here and her whole arc in this story. She has her own kind of agency that is completely separate from Batman, completely separate from Bruce Wayne. She finds herself brought into it, figuring things out on her own, making her own decisions about how she's going to respond to it and still living her life the way that she wants to in the end. And that's not to say that, you know, uh, Selena Kyle doesn't have, you know, her own decisions she can make or anything like that. But Catwoman is so intertwined in the history of Batman that over time, as she's become a love interest, there's just been a lot of, you know, fluid continuity, uh, continuity working in there and so much more story to those two characters that, you know, you can kind of pick and choose from. Kind of like this whole arc itself. Silver's story is... uh, so well-crafted and self-contained that, yes, I agree. I would love to see more of her, but the way she comes on the scene and then exits the story herself, I think is just perfect. And that's what, that, that, that's why I think she is the most interesting character to ever be a love interest for Batman. I'm not saying that she's Bruce's true love necessarily. It's just that I think uh, just as a, quote-unquote romantic foil, I think she's the best in the entire, you know, 81, 82 history, uh, year history of uh, Batman at this point. And I'll echo everything that you said about her and her strengths, like for sure, and how she definitely, she has a life and a purpose outside of Batman and Bruce Wayne. Like, Englehart had said, and this, this is, I don't know what to think of this, but I'll just say it. He, he says in an interview, 
uh, and okay, I should say the 100 things Batman fans should know and do before they die, written by Joseph McCabe. He'd interviewed Steve Englehart, and Steve Englehart said that he thought the best way to humanize Bruce Wayne is to give him a sex life. Now, instead of just taking that at face value, this is how he uh, explains that. Now, this was under the Comics Code Authority in the 70s, so there couldn't be sex like there might be today. But it was clear that there are definitely scenes where she's lying in a negligee in bed (laughs) saying, I had a great time last night. That's about the best you could do under the Comics Code, but it was pretty daring for the Comics Code. The thing was, because of the Comics Code, nobody had even considered portraying a sex life. So it was not unheard of. It was kind of unthought of. So I did take a lot of pride in breaking down that door. So... I know like the, the, the teenager or something here that, <laughs> oh my gosh, you saw her in a negligee sort of deal. But it is a little bit of a, it's a, it's a mature approach for sure to, uh, to bring that in a subtle way uh, with Silver. And it's not like when Bre- Bruce wasn't around that she was just like, I've got nothing to do until Bruce comes back. It's like, she's a humanitarian herself. Yeah, she's spending most of this arc putting together a, uh, like exactly. a gala and everything. Like she's, she's doing her job. She just also happens to have a social life, which to kind of, you know, pay, uh, sorry if you weren't, you know, done with that, uh, but kind of piggyback off of it is even in a broader sense of not just giving Bruce a, like a sex life or a love life. Uh, she helps give Bruce like a social life. She gives Bruce Wayne um, as a character uh, reasons to be in the story that aren't just waiting for him to put on the costume and be Batman. Bruce has stuff to do. He has, you know, engagements. Yeah. He has social life, which, which again, I think is just missing from so much of comics is I know there's the whole argument of, you know, Batman's, you know, the real character and Bruce is the mask or they're both masks. And then, you know, there's how Bruce is, you know, with like Alfred and Dick when they're not, you know, Uh, I mean, I get that there's all that, but you know, even when you come to a Batman comic eventually, and this might sound bad, but eventually too much Batman might be overwhelming. Like, it's nice to see, uh, like, th- think of, uh, you know, even in The Dark Knight, you know, I'm, I'm sure we've both seen that movie, yes, at least, you know, once or twice. Um, 100 times or twice yeah, 100? Just, yes. Just, 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 uh, just a couple. I've seen um, it 100 times twice. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but no, I mean, even though the, you know, that's ostensibly a Batman movie, Bruce Wayne does stuff in that movie to... Uh, some of it is to, you know, further his mission as Batman, but some of it is also to, you know, just do things that Batman can't, like going to, uh, you, you know, throwing like a fundraiser so he can learn more about someone who could potentially be an ally or an enemy. Bruce or Batman can't do that, but Bruce Wayne can't. And um, even showing up to board meetings so that he can get a closer look at the books of, uh, of um, a possibly shady uh, a company. Um, Bruce Wayne can do that better than Batman can. So I like that. I, I like stories where Bruce Wayne has just as much to do out of costume as Batman has to do in costume. And we get a lot of that in here. And a lot of that is because he socializes and has a... Um, a a a love life with Silver that that is explored very well and very maturely in such a short span. 
And by doing that, we get it's almost like him dressing up as Batman is a great a great payoff then because we've got that balance of him out of the cowl then in the cowl. And also it provides the evidence for us to believe that Silver can deduce that Batman is Bruce Wayne, you know, because if we never see the Bruce Wayne moments and then Silver just on one page says, oh my gosh, are you Bruce Wayne? Yeah, like, exactly. Uh, that, what? That's kind of a cheap, uh, cheap that, boy, but it, it works here. And then, you know, her being unsure if she's right, even when she knows she's right. And yes. Bruce being unsure if she knows, even though he knows she knows. That creates some really, <laughs> that, that creates some really, really good drama. That's the inspiration for friends. They don't know we know, they know that we know. Like strange apparitions, it, it's all connected. It all comes back to strange apparitions. Uh, two, two villains also in this run as we sort of uh, move along a little bit that I want to touch on and connect them is Hugo Strange and mm-hmm. Deadshot. And what I want to connect about them is these are, these are their first appearances in comics in a long time. Yes. So Hugo Strange pops up in Detective Comics 471. His, his previous uh, appearance, what, 471, which was in 1977. His previous appearance was Detective Comics 46 in 1940. So less than, a year after, <laughs> less than a year after Batman debuted and then almost 40 years after Batman yeah. debuted. That's a, that's a long stretch. And then uh, for a dead shot, he appeared in Detective 474. And that was the first time since Batman 59. In, in a dandy, in a dandy yes. uh, top hat, <laughs> white tie and tails. Yeah, he was a little uh, updated, if you will. But what I, what I mean by with these, so you're looking at uh, 30 plus years and 20 plus years. We just because there's so much Batman content now and DC content now, you do not have gaps like that. No. Like ever, both characters. I mean, look at the Jokers popping up all over the damn place, in which he pops up later in this run. And I I didn't look into the gap of that, but about four... I mean, he had his own series around this time too. So, I mean, it wasn't... But even Joker was a character that wasn't in comics for a long time. Yeah. In fact, he only got a resurgence after like most Batman things did after you know batman 66 because mm-hmm. uh, i don't think um oh gosh it wasn't julie schwartz was it uh but whoever was editing batman comics in like the late 50s early 60s hated joker mm-hmm. so just absolutely refused to let anybody use him and i think the joker's five-way revenge was that brought his, him back to it was his, and that was in the early 70s yeah uh one of the many uh probably would battle out with the killing joke as the greatest joker story of all time oh absolutely um sadly because of the matchups in the best batman story bracket in march um (laughs) the the killing joke lasted a lot longer than joker's five-way revenge but that's just the way that the cookie crumbled anyway yeah yeah i uh i i i tried to play the board the way I thought it was going to go <laughs> instead of how it did go. And I did really, really well until I really, really didn't. <laughs> until you didn't. Yeah. You were, you were in there pretty for a long time and then yeah. the end did not. Did not but, work anyway, out well. anyway, but anyway, anyway, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Hugo so, strange. <laughs> Hugo strange. So I really appreciate the, the dip into his history of um, early Hugo strange was obsessed with monster men and 
Englehart carries that over here and how strange it, he has his own secret maniacal uh, hospital, if you will, with a monster serum. And he has people turning into monsters. And that's just cool to me of, oh, that's going back to like his first appearances in, in comics. That's really cool. But then also a really nice dramatic element that Engelhart, he's planted the seed of Batman and Silver being in love. And <laughs> Hugo finds out who Batman is in Bruce Wayne. And then also taken totally out of, you know, the, the spy genre a decade prior. Uh, I can make a mask that looks exactly like the real Bruce Wayne and nobody will know <laughs> anything. But Hugo dresses up as Bruce Wayne, goes to, uh, goes to work as Bruce Wayne and starts to bet on the stock market and cash out. And then Silver comes in and us as readers, it's a whole, no, Silver, that's not the real Bruce Wayne. I mean, it's total soap opera. But I mean, it also kind of works. This, uh, that's how I've heard this story described is like a Batman soap opera. And I completely agree in the best possible ways. It is, I mean, it's very dramatic, has lots of, oh my God. You like, I mean, uh, some of it's over the top. It is very, very much, I don't know, like just high energy like all the time like like if if actors were reading these parts it would be it would work as a stage play as much as it would (laughs) anything else but that's not a bad thing i mean it's it's very much about telling a story and and it just tells it well it might be a little uh, much for some of the sensibilities of storytelling today but I don't care. I honestly think it's better than a lot of the storytelling today. So like, um, I mean, even when you get amazing lines, like Bruce waking up from a nightmare and saying, wait a minute, I never have nightmares. I give nightmares. <laughs> that is the greatest line in this entire book. <laughs> I'm telling you that right now. But it's, I mean, it is, it is very much over the top. But it's told with such conviction that you you just buy it because, you know, it's great storytelling. Yep. And so that whole secret identity or knowing we have a villain now, a powerful villain, it's purely psychological. And those are some great, that's, that's how Hugo Strange can stand out amongst the Dr. Phosphorus and Joker, Riddler, Bat, or Penguin and such is he, he's just got a different, he's a different threat. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that aspect when, when told, uh, when he's involved in a story and it, you know, he's got a purpose and he brings a lot to the table. And here in this story, he knows Batman's identity and that adds cool elements. It adds to a sweet uh, let's meet up um, in a theater and I will not see the, the, the bitters, but we get a cool tease of, Oh, it's Rupert Thorne. Oh, it's the penguin. Oh, it's the Joker. And they're going to bid on getting the real identity like that's a cool that's such a cool little like angle you know story element i i love that of hugo is doing something with that information but i also love that his obsession with all this being so smart and ahead of the game is what leads to his downfall too yep he he's he has it too much in his head that it just overwhelms him and that's that's what leads to him being defeated Absolutely. And it's, and that's kind of fun where that's one story thread that gets tied up is like Hugo basically gets tortured for this information by Thorne and his goons and tort and he will not give up the information and basically he's tortured to death. So where us readers can think, 
oh, okay, well, he's the only one that knew Batman was Bruce Wayne, so we're all good. But the damage has also been done because he he acted like Bruce Wayne for so long and did damage to Bruce's company as well as his relationship with Silver. Mm-hmm. So it's like, no, this isn't this isn't finished. Like he, the damage has been done. So now Bruce has got to get out of the hospital, which he does thanks to the help of Dick Grayson, college boy. Um, wait, well, how does how does he say it back for me? Dick Grayson, college student. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but he comes and saves the day and helps uh, Bruce escape. But like that's just another angle that that also stands out to me. In it's that this is not my favorite panel, so that's why I'll say it now. Uh, in that issue, the three panels side by side where he's he's opening bid um, or the the down payment to bid, and you've got the three bitters in shadows i just that stands out to me oh yeah too i love that because i i do remember reading it for the first time and being like oh man penguin and joker are coming they're involved and like just being teased like that is a cool it felt very a different approach in the 70s doing that than the approach doing it now yeah i mean it's great visual storytelling it's it's showing us and i mean these i mean these issues are very wordy they're not like a slog to get through they just have a lot of dialogue they have a lot of narration but when it's when when it's time to tell the story just with the visuals i love that Engelhard allows that he allows the panels to breathe because yeah seeing like the outline of rupert thorne's uh glowing ring uh, like a uh, or a, a sparkling ring like the light glimmering off of it then seeing part of penguin's umbrella in his uh um his cigarette holder and then just seeing uh the purple gloves and shoes of the joker tells you everything you need to know without actually 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 saying anything you know who they are you know what this means and any any dialogue that could have been put in there would have lessen the impact of it yep i agree let's move on to the man known as deadshot uh Uh, one thing i I did want to mention first is on uh uh page 13 of uh that issue i I can't remember which issue it's it's page 69 in the uh, graphic novel um at the very top where robin's you know lunging it's a cool shot and he says, gangway boys, the Robin's on the wing. Uh, that is like two shades away from a tweet tweet on the street. All right. Did you have to mute yourself and laugh at that? Or did you not laugh at all? Because uh, I feel like that reference didn't, didn't get in catch on there. Oh, no, I was like... Uh... I'd taken a drink of water. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Spit takes I... not as good in audio form as <laughs> yeah. it would be in video, you know? <laughs> I, I thought I heard you giggling, but I was like, oh my gosh, did that joke fall flat? Because it's, you know, Lego Batman movie mm-hmm. again. Lots lots of Lego Batman movie talk tonight. Tweet, I'm, I'm, tweet, I'm, tweet on the street. Yeah, tweet, it's, tweet on the street. It's, I mean, it's... Fly, like Robin, fly. fly, Robin, fly. Fly, Robin, fly. Yes. <laughs> That's what I was going to... There, there we go. Bringing it back fly, to you. Fly, Robin, fly. Anyway, anyway, uh, yes, Deadshot Ricochet. Deadshot, I just, this also, we can, everybody that's a fan of Deadshot these days, which we've seen a lot of him now, um, he, you can thank Steve Englehart and Marshall yeah. Rogers. That is exactly what I had in mind while, uh, to, to, to mention when we came across this, mm-hmm. is if, if you're a fan of Deadshot, 
you owe this book thanks because everything you like about Deadshot comes from here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this and like I said, this was the issue that Engelhart said was the added issue. Uh, and Julie Schwartz suggested suggested Deadshot because this yeah this was the added issue and. Engelhart said he had the Marvel style of writing um, for his layout, but because they'd switched artists, he then got to have more control over his issue playouts and stuff. So he had stuff plotted out pretty dang well. But he, Sh- Julie Schwartz had said that, you know, that Deadshot would be a good addition because he's got a Penguin story and a Joker and Hugo Strange. And I mean, I guess if you have those three, then the next best is Deadshot. I mean, I, I guess. <laughs> well, it's probably one of those, you know, if you want to use a character, here's a list of ones that, you know, you can, you can do whatever you want with it. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're really not going to be, uh, cause you know, e- I mean, even back then with Joker or Penguin, uh, they'll let them tell the story, but they, they've still got to stay within some parameters. So I'm mm-hmm. sure, you know, uh, Julie at that point was like, okay, here, here's characters that if you want to pick and choose, knock yourself out, do whatever, do with them whatever you want, and we won't say no. Yeah, and I mean, Engelhart just kind of said that he, this was a way for him to slow things down a little bit, expand some of the character moments. So have Silver and Bruce eating at a restaurant and such, and he was able to come up with the the story for Deadshot and breaking out and. You know, hot on the heels of Penguin just got arrested. He just wrapped up the Penguin, um, the Penguin story, and so then Penguin's monocle is what Deadshot steals, and that's how he's able to break out. I mean, it's a fun issue. It's not crucial or critical, but it does it does provide my favorite panel, which we'll get to here uh, soon in this issue. But I think this the the biggest part is what this issue did for Deadshot in the future. Yeah. And I mean, it's a, it is a near perfect, just single issue story too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like, I, like I was uh, saying at the beginning there that a lot of this collection is just, you know, pick up and read and you're, you know, you're not going to feel like you're, you have to sit down and read a 200 page trade. You could just read. And again, that's, that's so, so amazing is pretty much every single one of these issues is 17 pages of story. Yeah. And yet they feel like there's so much more going on, yep. so much more fulfilling than a lot of the 22 page comics that have been coming out in, you know, like the past 10, 15 years. Um, and not just that they have to fit more into le- uh, less space, but even just the, the pacing, uh, the panel layouts, there's so much more interesting visual storytelling going on. Um, yeah, this Deadshot issue is 17 pages long, and it is, I mean, one of the best just single issue stories that, you know, I think I've ever read, honestly, uh, just because everything is concise, everything, yeah, there's a beginning, middle, and end. It is fed into by previous issues and feeds into the next issues, but you don't need to read anything else to get what you need out of this story, and I, and I just love that. Also, giant typewriters. Big fan. Giant typewriter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a fun nod back to you know the fifties stories. Oh, I love I love the that. 40s I love, stories like and stuff. The kind of the Dick Sprang, yeah. uh, Carmine Infantino stuff. Love it. Yep, absolutely. Uh, really quickly, just so we can say that we touched on it. I mean, penguins in this run. 
Uh, I'm, I don't I don't have anything negative to say about the Penguin story, but also I'm just not the biggest Penguin fan as it is. So it's just kind of like, he's fine. He's yeah, recognizable. I, uh, I honestly don't remember an awful lot that goes on in his story, even after, you know, reading it. And I mean, it's, it's good. It's just, there's other stuff around, around it that's so much better and more interesting. Yep. So I'm fine with, giving his time to the joker two-part story <laughs> yeah that's all that's all right that's all right cause... let's dip into that one because here also lies one of the greatest joker stories of yes. all time it is called the laughing fish and everybody i'm sure will hear of this now and they don't oh yeah that was a batman the animated series episode actually before it that, it was two a comic. issues of a Batman comic book. <laughs> it was two issues of a Batman comic book, Detective Comics number 475 and 476, where in classic Joker fashion, uh, he, he has this, this insane idea. Poison the fish and then go to the copyright and get a trademark so he can get paid every time anybody eats one of his laughing fish. <laughs> yes, it is ridiculous. ridiculous. Makes zero sense. And it is absolutely amazing. And it's perfect. It is perfect. It's perfect. And I know Engelhart, he wanted, and he mentions that the Joker's five way, that, you know, that that helped take the Joker back to his early roots of being like a homicidal maniac. But we, he still, still needed that. He still wanted that, that aspect like, in the Joker. Like the, the, the clown, the clown aspect, just yes. the ridiculous. The ridiculous clown. Yes, I mean, ha ha, ha, ha hacienda. That's what he keeps saying, and I'm like, I don't get that. Other, unless it's just supposed to sound funny. I mean, a hacienda is a house. I mean, it's, <laughs> hacienda. Uh, a spa- I mean, it's a Spanish word for. I mean, I don't know if it's a Spanish word for house, but I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's Spanish. Anyway, it's a tie. I mean, it's a house. Is what a hacienda is. So, ha ha hacienda is just a. You know, laughing and whatever. But yeah, I mean, the Joker's not supposed to be funny. He's supposed to be unpredictable. So I like that, that uh, Englehart recognized that, that yes, you know, there's crime boss aspects to him that completely work, but also just doing something so stupid, like, like mm-hmm. transforming fish and then saying, I need a copyright on this and I'm going to make money by taxing everybody because they're eating my image. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's one of those things that it's so ridiculous that when he has a bit of a murderous streak in this story, it becomes even more shocking because you're not expecting it. Mm-hmm. And I think I love that, that angle of, of this. Yes. The, the ridiculous aspect of the, the plot itself, but also it's going back to his roots and his first appearance of announcing murders. Yeah. Uh, before they happen. Before they happen. Good and call. I didn't, case, I didn't actually make that connection. It updated, you know, his, his first, issue in batman number one he's doing it over the radio well they updated it to where now he's doing it on on television and uh i think that's brilliant uh i love it uh i in our trade paperback it's page 117 and in the issue itself it's page 10 that that first image of him is totally the man who laughs oh absolutely (laughs) i mean spot on and it's so cool it's uh, I just I just love that that picture. It's perfect. Oh yeah, drawn. that's great. Yeah, that and then uh, you know two pages before is that incredibly 
famous and absolutely gorgeous first panel where he walks yeah. in and and he's so tall and lean mm-hmm. that he only needs to take up one one long panel and it 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 uh, like just fits his entire you know frame in there and everything and it just looks so great with him taking the hat off and then smiling and you know walking forward and everything just just such a great shot but yeah, that uh, that man who laughs homage panel there too is is amazing too. I I love the confrontation he has with Rupert Thorne, and how Joker just kind of emphasizes that the Joker needs Batman and Batman needs the Joker, mm-hmm. and so he suspects. Someone just says the Joker, which is perfect in the Dark Knight, and how the Joker can appear as if things are just happening, but really he's just, he is really smart and everything is mm-hmm. planned out. And here, you know, the Joker knows Thorne's the one who killed Hugo, Hugo Strange. And he's just kind of saying, if the identity of the Batman died with Hugo Strange, then good, let it stay that way. Yeah. Like we, he doesn't, Joker just, this emphasizes that point of Joker kind of, he doesn't need to know or want to know who the identity J- is. Joker doesn't care. His, his foil, his aim is to mess with Batman. Yep. That's it. He does not care about Bruce Wayne other than as a, you know, a means to an end. Yep. Uh, he just needs somebody to come and screw that up. Yeah, exactly. So in that case, he's got Batman's back. I got your back, bro. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I really like the two, the two scenes. I like the two murders. <laughs> but for how they just how they play out of it is kind of tense of Batman and police they're they're watching this the guy in the first one of uh what's his I forget what his name is I had it written down oh um uh yeah the copy the copywriter whoever it is let me let me see where it is G. Carl Francis. There we go. G. Carl Francis. He also a good name. Great. But I like how that's clock strikes 12 and up there's gas. And then how Marshall Rogers just illustrates like in one panel, the four pictures of how his face is slowly morphing into the Joker Joker grin. His uh, rigor mortis grin. Yeah. That's that's rictus rictus grin is what I was thinking of. Yes, that that's illustrated great. And then the the next story, sign of the Joker, because Joker came on the airwaves right away and basically said, "In three hours, I'm going to take out the next guy until you give me my copyrighted Joker fish." Damn it! And then the next (laughs) book, they the a cat sneaks in with a fish and goes after (gasps) Batman, and then Batman dies with the grin on his face. But listen the real Batman had a, had a mask up his sleeve. That was just like the other guy. And so the cat still knew his owner. Batman switched places with the, the murderous, uh, let's see. No. The victim. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to find his name. I, th- I Jackson, swore. Jackson, is, or sorry. Where is it? I'm well prepared. <laughs> I swear I was. Oh yeah, Thomas Jackson. Yeah, Jackson. It was his last name because he says he got Jackson, but I, yeah, I can't remember his first name. Uh, Batman switched places with Thomas Jackson, so Thomas Jackson was in the cape and cowl, and uh, Batman had on the mask of Thomas Jackson. Which and, I mean, taken uh, not taken the uh, yeah the laughing fish episode of the animated series like mm-hmm. takes that scene beat for beat. Beat for beat, I think it's perfect. It also takes that first that first beat too of where G Carl Francis even looks at Batman and says, right. you know, like Batman, I, uh, 
I'm just a paper pusher. I don't remember in the episode, The Laughing Fish, what he says, but I can, I can hear that as I read this, you know, of like, what mm-hmm. does he want with me? I don't, I'm just working in an office. Um, so the, those are done really well. And I just remember, I really liked this, this scene of the old switcheroo and the cat angle. Um, oh yeah. I mean, it, it's still shocking in the, in the episode when you watch it, you know, just like, oh my gosh, are they actually going to pull it off this time? Mm-hmm. But no, there's that stupid cat. But yeah, even, um, even knowing how it's, you know, it plays out from being familiar with the, uh, the cartoon. Um, I mean, just the tension is just, I mean, it, it's just so well-paced. It's um, like, they keep you on the edge of your seat. Like, okay, how is this going to work? Are they going to save this guy? If they're not, what's going to happen to him? I mean, it's just so brilliantly plotted. Uh, and it's uh, with his Jackson's death, it's over the course of three pages. But I mean, so much story is told in just those three pages that it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And I, I love the, as that, the story moves along and Joker's back in his own hideout, coming up with another idea of, Hey, next I'll have Joker burgers. And then (laughs) he breaks the fourth wall. I I love that little bit of um, where he's turning the page in the bottom of for us, 129, but it's page five on that. Oh man, I love it. He's bending over and breaking through and turning the page. Like it's such a small thing, but I'm like, that's just fun. Oh man, I love those. The in the uh I think it's the Marshall Rogers collection, there's actually another uh story in there Mm -hmm. uh with uh, the calculator. And there's um kind of a similar transition page. Hang on. There's a, a similar transition where I think it's like a pointer finger coming out of the calculator's like chest, you know, doohickey with the calculator buttons, like mm-hmm. saying, you know, to find out more, turn the page. You know, it's just really corny, really silly, but I mean, just just endearing and charming for how old fashioned it is. Yep. I, it's Yeah. Endearing, I think, is the best word to, to summarize that and because it's it's something that only a comic book can do mm-hmm. you know you're not really going to see that you know in a movie or uh, even in a tv show uh you can't really get it you know in a prose novel but a like a comic book you can definitely play with things like that uh to uh to you know break the fourth wall transition between scenes and just have fun with it mm-hmm I think the way that that the Batman Joker fight ends in this issue too, uh, Engelhardt had mentioned every comic that you'd read early on with the Joker, he he dies or is arrested at the end of each issue, but then is free and alive in the next issue that he's in. It's it's like, huh. And this kind of ends that same way. You think that he's dead, he falls in the water, but it's kind of like he could be dead or just wait uh, a few issues and then he'll pop back up. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's good. And then we get the, the ending here, and I want to capitalize on this, of the Silver and Batman confrontation of like, this is the end of Silver St. Cloud, the big dramatic finish, but it, it breaks Batman's heart. Yes, it does. The poor man. Poor Batman. So sad. So it's very, sad. It's very sad. But this wouldn't be the end of Silver St. Cloud because there is a sequel to this book called Dark Detective that she is in. She is also in Kevin Smith and Walt Flanagan's The Widening Gyre, which ends on such a cliffhanger that all these years later, it doesn't seem like we'll ever get a follow-up. And so damn we'll just pre- it! <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just pretend it doesn't exist. 
I, <laughs> but I like it. Oh, I haven't read, I, I haven't read the story. I mean, I know it by re- reputation, but with the cliffhanger it ends on, it's like, if it doesn't end, we don't, we can just pretend that it didn't, it happen. didn't happen. It didn't happen. So I'm not going to even say. Read the she also showed up in Batman uh, Elmer Fudd as uh, the uh, primary love interest for both Batman and Fudd, which again, not joking, not being goofy or silly. That is my favorite Batman story of the past 10 years. I read it once and I really liked it, but I, because I only read it once and I've read like 415,000 things since then, <laughs> yeah, I, don't yeah, rem- yeah. I don't remember much about it. it. It's, I mean, it's, it's very much a spiritual sequel to Strange Apparitions and Dark Detective. Hell yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, I, I'm going to keep this part really quick because I know we're starting to run long and I know that's there's a- some other beats to talk, but the the final two issues, issues are from the Hall of Famer, the late, great Len Wein, who wrote, and then Marshall Rogers and Dick Giordano are on the the arts for the final two issues, but it's a Clayface story with Preston Payne. I think that's a, I mean, it's a, it's a fun story for Batman for Bruce Wayne, I should say, you see his his fallout of how he's dealing with Silver, and he's he's struggling emotionally. And I'm like, oh, I feel so sorry for you, Bruce. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's still so tragic with the Preston Payne story because yes. he's a man who tried to correct his physical deformities uh, and ended up poisoning himself and making it to where the only thing he could do now is poison others. And it's, I mean, it's it's very tragic. And he doesn't want to, but it's yeah. like the pain right now is hurting. The only way that I can make it go away is sadly I have to pass it on to somebody else. Yeah, and uh, to not not shift gears necessarily, but kind of just um, uh, this might be a controversial statement. I don't <gasps> know. I don't know, but um, I honestly think that uh, Roger's pencils here uh, look better under Giordano's inks than <gasps> they did under Austin's. I love the look of the rest of the book, but heresy uh, that just that first page, just look at it with brew with Batman, you know, like jumping in on top of that aquarium and nabbing those two thugs looks so good. It looks almost Jim Aparo ish, which is one of the highest compliments in the land. So. Okay. Um, that is a compliment and I don't know why I thought, but one of those goons, um, was he, is Len Wein one of them? Uh, yeah. Uh, he, he kind of looks like the one in the green you, shirt. Yeah. <laughs> you Google Len Wein and one of the first images is like big glasses and like curly, curly hair, kind curly of a bushy hair. beard. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if the longer haired guy is is anybody but yeah that uh, i thought so i i, I did i didn't uh, put that together until just then but yeah that looks like len Wein. that's funny uh but yeah i mean it's a tragic a tragic story it's a good two issue story i'm not saying i'm not saying we need to skip it because it sucks or anything like that no 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 it's it's a good two um two issue story it's it's, it's a it's a great epilogue to mm-hmm. the strange apparition story that ended with the previous issue yep Oh, and then we, and I need to follow up these, these issues because in that they tease a woman who wants to see Bruce Wayne and she's got long black hair and she's got a cat with her. I wonder who that could be. Who could that be? But I don't remember the issue that follows that to see if they, if that played out at all. So 
uh, I want to get to some of the usual bits here because we've okay. got some things to discuss. Um, let's let's first hit up the favorites, Jay Oz. What is right. in Batman Strange Apparitions? Now that in these issues, all in this collected trade, that's what counts. What is yes. your favorite part? Uh, favorite part or favorite panel? Favorite like, part first. Favorite part. Oh gosh, that's even harder. <laughs> I guess. Um, time, I, I'm ready. Honestly, I mean, I I think in the Deadshot issue, okay. uh, really the uh, the fight on that giant typewriter is just so fun. It's so uh, it it's it's silly, but at the same time, it still has some great drama, and um, it's just kind of a melding of you know Golden Age Batman, and then bringing a Golden Age character like Deadshot into the Bronze Age here while still not being kind of in the mire of ultra seriousness. It's still just having a lot of fun with the uh, with what you can do with the comic story. Very cool. Mine would have to be the uh, Detective 476, Sign of the Joker, the murder of Thomas Jackson because I that just stands out in my mind, both from this comic and the Batman, the animated series episode of, yes. of the whole cat comes in with the fish attacks. It is a so, perfectly paced, illustrated and written scene. Absolutely. Yeah, from how it opens up, it's a stormy night and Batman just looks great, even though it's not really Batman, but it's yeah. really Batman. Yeah. And then like closing the door and the click and the tension and the cat coming in and attacking and all of that, the twist and, I just think that's a really good, as you just said, perfectly paced, um, perfectly paced like uh, scene. There we go. Yeah, Jeez. Yes. Yes. Ah! But, um, <laughs> all right. Now let's hit up the favorite panel out of all of this. So uh, again, <laughs> so hard. So hard. I mean, there are some parts that I mentioned earlier that. I enjoy on an entertainment level, mm -hmm. uh, like the panel where Bruce is like, I don't have nightmares. I give <laughs> nightmares. I give nightmares. Stuff like that. Um, and then even like some of the introductions to characters at the beginning is great. Like Robin just uh, appearing on a, a super rad dirt bike and then <laughs> just saying Robin. Um, After he goes and changes in a van. <laughs> yeah, uh, but then even, even you know, stuff at the end of the the Deadshot story, like where where Bruce and Dick part ways, and they aren't at each other's throats and being jerks to each other. Um, Bruce even you know thinks you know so long, pal. You know, I love stuff like that. But I mean, if I had to pick just a single panel that stood out to me as as the just the best example of what. Uh, this whole whole story could be. Um, honestly, I got to go with uh, with the very last page of um, uh, Detective Number uh, Four Seventy Six, where it's just Batman swinging across the skyline because mm -hmm. it's a perfect button for this story. Yeah. Uh, like I said, it's it's something where uh, Engelhart, you know, played with all the toys, did what he needed to do, told the story he wanted to tell. Um, he put things, he wrapped things up enough that if the next writer didn't want to do anything with what he was telling, then they didn't have to. If they wanted to keep the story going, they could. Uh, but it just ends on 
you know, in the dawning of a new day, he is gone. And it's, uh, you know, just a great seeing that this is the end of one Batman adventure, but it's not the end of every Batman adventure. And you know what Strange Apparitions did here? It inspired J.J. Abrams' use of lens flares. <laughs> yes. So I'd say even with that weird, uh, you know, monocle lens flare, whatever that's <laughs> supposed to be, I think yeah. it's supposed to be like the glint of light on Commissioner yeah. Gordon's glasses. Um, even it's just he, looking into the sun that's just peeking up over the building behind him. Of Yeah. Even, even with that kind of obstructing Batman's image, it's still an amazing shot of Batman. Yeah, very cool. My Mine is a bit of a cheat, but it's going to count because I get to make the rules. In the Deadshot Ricochet, Detective Comics 474, it is those two panels of Batman and Deadshot swinging through the buildings and the Joker's looking out at them. Yeah. Just because yeah, that's, that's a good tease. Um, like I said, for some reason, they feel different. The, the teases in this feel different than how teases are done now. Teases done now, maybe it's because I'm getting older, but they almost seem a little eye roll, like, oh, jeez. Whereas then it just, it was exciting to me. And I always say on here, an image that I can create a story or start to make, getting my imagination going. Uh, yeah. Looking at that is such a good, like a cool at night and Joker sees Batman and what's, where is he? What's he doing? What's he plotting? And like, it's, oh, it's- it's very, very much Desmond Doomsday. That laugh. Familiar? <laughs> what is the Harlequin of Hate up to? A Harlequin Sorry. of Hate. Find that out wait tomorrow. Till next issue, yeah. I mean, it's Find very out. dramatic. But again, I mean, it's just, it's just having fun with the medium yep. without breaking up the, the, the story that's being told there. Yep, absolutely. Now, the last question that I usually have is always, would you like to see this story uh, in animated form? And as we sort of quickly discussed before we started We kind of had all, have already. <laughs> we have. We have already. Uh, we mentioned, obviously, that The Laughing Fish was in Batman the Animated Series. I mean, even called The Laughing Fish. Although mm-hmm. it was heavily, mostly, probably like 80%, 85%. It's more side of the this. Joker, yeah. The, yeah. the end... The end was taken from Joker's Five Way Revenge. Yes. But everything before that ending was taken straight up from this. But also, and you mentioned this first to me before we started recording, um, bring up another Batman the Animated Series um, episode that was influenced by this. Yeah, the uh, Strange Secret of Bruce Wayne, which is about Hugo Strange figuring out Batman's secret identity and then wanting to sell it to uh, Gotham's uh, uh, criminal elite. Yep, which in the animated series was Joker, Two-Face. And Penguin, and Penguin. wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I believe Penguin was the, the third one. So um, my mind was blown when I picked this up and I read that part. And then like, I'm always watching Batman the Animated Series. And I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, this is just like that. Uh, another thing I think that they pulled from this very briefly was actually released this year in Batman Soul of the Dragon. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, at the I, beginning, Bat- Bruce Wayne and Silver St. Cloud break up. Oh, when I saw her, I loved that movie, by the way. Yeah. It was just so ridiculous and fun. When I saw that scene, I was like, oh my gosh, is that who I think it is? <laughs> and then they start talking and then Bruce mentioned Silver. I was like, this is my favorite Batman movie in the past five years already. The end. Put a stamp on it. Yeah, well, but, but... They, they looked at 
sorry, go ahead. No, I was just like, that is a char- that movie was full of characters I never thought I'd see in an animated movie, least of all Silver St. Cloud. And I am so grateful for it because, yeah, lifted from one of my favorite Batman stories ever. My critique of it was that they, in order to get this story or to get this movie made, they, they had to slap Batman's name on it. It's kind of a risky endeavor to do with, with a bunch of these lesser known characters, you know? So by bringing Batman in, it, he can definitely, that can oh. help open it up to this genre and these characters and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was totally a Richard Dragon movie is what yeah. it was. And it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, Batman didn't need to be a part of it, but they didn't use him in it as you know, Batman's here to save the day and everything. I mean, yeah. he, he, in fact, he, you know, they, they, uh, uh, Dragon and Bronze Tiger and Lady Shiva, you know, uh, uh, give him crap through like the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> Just I mean, it's definitely, it's a, it's a brave and the bold for sure movie. But yes, I yes. think the beginning, because it takes place in the seventies. So they lifted from strange apparitions. And I think something I hadn't mentioned yet with this book that I think why it ke- continues to stand the test of time is because it does sort of treat itself kind of how the animated series did in that it's mostly timeless. Yeah. yeah. They're not hitting on let's be topical and talk about things happening right now. Yes. The TV of the Joker is like, you could, that looks like an older TV, but it's not like, Oh, in five years, this was dated. It's got a good classic vibe to it throughout that. I just really love it. I'm like, this is why this story 40, uh, 40 plus 45, almost 45 years later, is is still like it's not like oh geez it still just kind of holds up because it has it's such a great setting for the whole book yeah absolutely and uh and not just the timelessness of it but the fact that it it wants to tell the story that it's telling Mm -hmm. it doesn't want to set up you know big crossovers doesn't want to you know completely change the game for Batman and everybody involved in it. It just wants to tell a really good, compelling, dramatic story with Batman, uh, some new characters, some familiar faces, and wants to tell it, wants to tell it well, and just be great on its own terms because of that. Yeah. And now to go to live action. Definitely, this had major influences on Batman 89. How do we know that? Because Steve Englehart said it himself. <laughs> because w, or DC called him in and they said, you know, that like some, some Hollywood people have taken some stabs at it and they wanted, they wanted, and they weren't breaking through. So they wanted him to come in. And I know he'd said that they wanted Joker. They wanted Penguin. They wanted Robin. They wanted Silver St. Cloud. And he's like, this is kind of crowded. And he even quoted him saying like, that cooler heads prevailed. Then I was able to attempt it again. No Penguin no Robin. And ultimately in there, and he said that uh, Rupert Thorne and Silver St. Cloud were in Batman 89. And then it was their Joker because he said, if you're going to come out with Batman, you've got to have Joker in there. Mm-hmm. And you can definitely see the, the performance and the style of Jack Nicholson's Joker is, is that's the strange apparitions Joker. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And yeah, I mean, Englehart did write a draft of the script for mm-hmm. Sam Hamm uh, came back in and kind of put his stamp on it, didn't he? Yes. Uh, I'm trying to see. Is He had said that Silver St. Cloud and Rupert Thorne were in there up until the very last minute. And then it was switched to uh, Vicki Vale and Boss, Boss Grissom. Grissom. Yeah. Which- he says in his interview 
that's pretty much because they wouldn't have to pay me for those characters. There are royalties <laughs> involved in this kind of thing. And I'm pretty sure it was a business decision, a very typical decision for DC. They're very corporate. Now in another interview that I read from that I'd read had said, because Silver St. Cloud, it had been, I mean, at that point over 10 years that she'd been out of comics, they went back to Vicki Vale cause she's more familiar. So Engelhart sounds a little bitter towards DC, maybe rightfully so, not there, I don't know. But the fact is that Silver St. Cloud was originally in the movie, as was Rupert Thorne. And I could totally see both of them like in the spots in those two uh, characters, you know? I can too. I mean, I think, you know, since Vicki Vale, well, I, was Vicki Vale even a reporter in her original appearances? I don't I remember. Don't, I don't remember. I don't remember. So it's like, I mean, if Vicki Vale wasn't and they'd have to, you know, reinvent Silver St. Cloud's character, I mean, it'd be six, one, half dozen the other. Yeah. Um, but then, I mean, Boss Grissom's an original character for the movie, isn't he? Like, yes. I don't think he has any precedence. Yeah. Um, but he's not, he's not fully Rupert Thorne either because I don't no. see, he's, he's a mobster. He's Falcone basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know? He's more, yeah. He's definitely more of a crime boss than uh, a corrupt politician. So yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I can see shades of them and see how they could have fit in the movie, mm-hmm. but I can also see the direction the movie went, how those characters didn't necessarily need to be in it. I also kind of understand Engelhart's, uh, if he's got a grudge because the movie was so damn successful, he's like, that could have been some good money for me. Oh yeah, I mean, I totally get where he's coming from. I mean, you know, you could say it's sour grapes and a little bit of bitterness, but I mean, if it was just, you know, they, they, only changed it, which, you know, that could just be his, his perception of it. Yes. Uh, But if they only changed it because they wanted to go the cheaper route with characters that were completely original and, you know, we're paying one guy for the use of it anyway. So might as well just pay him for this one too. Uh, In the case of Bob Kane, um, then yeah, I could definitely, I could definitely see where Inglehart's coming from. (laughs) Yes. And the other one that I could say influenced was definitely The Dark Knight, this little indie film we talked about earlier. And the fact of Bruce Wayne living, uh, seen it a hundred times twice. That's right. Uh, (laughs) That's right. right. Bruce Wayne living in a penthouse in Gotham City. And that I can totally see that they grabbed from Strange Apparitions. Also, it's not such a different, uh, I mean, it's, it's not such an out there concept either, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, sure, yes or no, but then Engelhart also believes, he thinks because with the success of Batman Begins, they wanted more Batman content, so DC came back to him and Rogers to do a follow-up to this, because to him, it seems like he's trying to say, because they needed more ideas to steal from. Uh, he seems a little bitter yeah (laughs) but and then he tried to say that the dark knight took some from the sequel of batman dark detective which i also uh i also enjoy and anybody who's not familiar i'm sure you've seen the joker image vote for me or or i'll kill you (laughs) we did that in sync way to go jay oz yes um that is from batman dark detective that i find that one to be such a stretch that christopher nolan and company stole from that one in, which was released in 2006 that they were like, let's steal from this and write our script this year and start filming next year for like, eh, it's kind of a stretch to me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see that one as much. Not so much, but um, 
yeah, let's see. I've hit on that stuff. So, Jay Yaws, would you like to give us your final thoughts on Batman Strange Apparitions? Um, I've given many, many thoughts. <laughs> You've given many thoughts. <laughs> many thoughts in Strange Apparitions. I am a bit of a talker. Um, but no, um, it's just, uh, like you said, it's a timeless Batman story. It tells the story it's wanting to tell very well. It's self-contained. All the issues in it are self-contained as well so you get a lot of story in let me see this trade is 175 pages in a good way it feels longer than that because there's just so much in here there's so much story you feel like you are getting a full comics meal from one of these issues let alone all of them and um it's a, it's just a great teamwork from, uh, from a creative team that really isn't together for very long, nope. um, because there's ten issues in the uh, in the collection. Uh, the the names for the story, Engelhart and Rogers, really only collaborate for six of those issues. Yep, but they just had such a perfect chemistry, such great ideas and such uh, just such an influential influential touch with this one story that took less than a year to come out that it has influenced so much of Batman's character in all forms of media in the 40 years since it's been published. And um, it, it, it has some of the, it just, just all the best aspects of Batman uh, and really none of the, uh, no, let's not say the worst aspects of it, but none of the things, none of the traps that too many other creators can fall into when writing the character. It's, it's, uh, it's nearly perfect from beginning to end. And uh, other than the fact that it's so hard to find, I'd say everyone should go out and, uh, sorry, it's so expensive to buy. There you go. <laughs> Every, everyone should go out and, uh, get a copy right now, but I'm pretty sure all the issues are on DC universe unlimited or infinite, whatever it's called now, yep. infinite DC universe, infinite. I'm pretty sure all the issues are on there. So you really don't have any excuse if you've never read it. And if you have been wanting to, but never got a chance to, now's your chance. You have no excuse. Yes. No excuse. Uh, yeah. The most, I don't know that anybody has done so much in with, so little now let me explain that Engelhart and rogers six issues and like you even said earlier they are like 17 page issues uh you could almost argue frank miller did more with less yes his dark knight returns was four books but yeah but they're like 40 pages exactly (laughs) so in a span of time Engelhart and rogers this run just did so much for the history of batman and it's it's been pulled from in ways that we've listed and I'm sure there's other parts that we we haven't thought of yet in in other stories whether it's characters or story beats or whatnot uh this is a definitive Batman tale uh to me it's timeless like we both said and it it hits so many good notes of Batman and Bruce Wayne it brings something different while also bringing in something familiar uh it's it's a great run and I think Engelhart and Rogers should always be celebrated for how good Batman Strange Apparitions in, which is also why it is one of my favorite Batman stories of all time. Listen to episode number 50. Anyways. <laughs> Woo! All right. So, uh, Jay Yaws, 
I said it before and I'll say it again. Thank you for coming on the show, returning to the show to talk Batman Strange Apparitions. Would you like to make any plugs? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J-A-Y-A-W-S. Um, you can also find my uh, comics writing at Comic Pause. Uh, the, my, the, uh, previous site that I had with my, uh, uh, my buddy, Brian, we decided to close up shop last year, just kind of a mutual decision. Um, so I've, uh, ported over all of my, uh, writing from that site and have been doing, you know, just pretty much whenever I feel like it, writing about some comics over, uh, over there, but, uh, on Twitter and, uh, Instagram, that's at comic pause, like, uh, you know, you pause a video game. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can, uh, pretty much find me there and on Facebook and various Batman and movie and comic book groups and everything. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to, uh, uh, chat with you about this or, you know, anything else really. Maybe Daredevil. Yes. You're supposed to oh, tweet more about my Daredevil. gosh. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. check Jay's Twitter feed to see why I'm talking about Daredevil because I'm sure yes. he's going to talk about Daredevil a lot more now. <laughs> yeah. Holy moly. <laughs> Gosh, I did not expect that to blow up that much, but it did. (laughs) Yes, it did. All right, you can follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter and Instagram at TheBatmanBC. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lauer underscore Ryan. Lauer spelled like lower. You can also write in for questions or comments or um, anything at all Batman related at TheBatmanBC at gmail.com. Vichyswa recipes. Vichyswa, I need one. I need one. And I will try it. If if it's inexpensive, (laughs) I will try it and then tell you how bad it (laughs) was. You can also find my my write-ups, my postings on batmanonfilm.com on reviews, uh, top 10 lists, interviews, uh, podcast episodes that I've appeared on there. Just go to batmanonfilm.com. Also, if you'd like to support the show, you can go to TeePublic where there's a store where you can buy Batman Book Club t-shirts, hoodies, onesies, notebooks, uh, stickers, a uh, piece of art that you want to put on your wall. I mean, they've got it all on TeePublic. The link to that tab is on the Twitter page. Uh, just go there. And lastly, if you want to support the show, you can do it with just 30 seconds of your time. You can rate and review on Apple Podcasts. The link to that page to rate and review is in the description of this episode. The more you review and rate the show, the more it spreads the word. And as we all know, that word is Bennett. So, for Jay, I am Ryan. And until next time, read more Batman comics. Bye.